Hey friends, and welcome to You Deserve to Love Your Job with me, Arlene Pace Green. My goal is to help you identify and achieve your greatest aspirations and have a lot of fun along the way. I'm so glad you've joined me on this journey. Let's go. I am so excited to let you know that the You Deserve to Love Your Job book is available. It's in paperback and Kindle. I wrote the book for anyone who is looking for more purpose, more meaning, and more joy in your work and life. Filled with examples, quizzes, and experiences from real people, including me, and the book lays out a roadmap to help you clarify your purpose and create an action plan to achieve it. Go get it. It's available on Amazon. Hey friends, and welcome to the podcast. And I am thrilled you've joined for today's discussion on women in STEM. Today, you'll hear a conversation I had with Dr. Deepali Palta, who is an amazing leader, such a genuine human being and an advocate for women in STEM. Deepali was born to a pediatrician and a teacher in a house that highly valued education. She went on to pursue an education in engineering, earning a bachelor of science degree and a master of science degree in engineering in India, and a PhD in material science and engineering from Georgia Tech, go Yellow Jackets. Her career journey has been a fantastic non-linear path of critical experiences spanning the entire enterprise, including innovation, annual plan delivery, foresights and technology scouting, sustainability, strategy, portfolio management, and organizational capability across diverse business constructs and multiple geographies. Each role has prepared her for bigger challenges, leading to our current assignment, leading value transformation and digitization. Dr. Nepali is a lifelong STEMinist and asks what if and why not to inspire disruptive thinking. She is committed to sustainability, diversity, and unlocking the potential of others. This is a fantastic conversation with so much guidance and advice on really building a career you love and also advocating for girls and women in STEM careers. So thank you so much for joining and enjoy. Thank you all everyone for joining us on the podcast and to Polly, thank you for joining me on this podcast. I can't wait for this conversation. I just know you've been involved in women in STEM in so many ways. I mean, crafting your own career as a leader in women in STEM, but also just all the work I've seen you do around advocating for other women, supporting women, creating opportunities for other women in STEM. So I'm really excited that other people get to hear about just your experiences and your perspective. And I also want them to understand what a STEMinist is, because I think the first time I heard that term was from you, absolutely. And so I just want people to walk away with an understanding of what it takes to thrive as a woman in STEM, which you've certainly done and helped other people do as well. So thank you for joining. Thank you for having me. And I can get us kick-started on the STEMinist definition. I would it's love pretty that. pretty much just maybe how the name sounds. It's someone who advocates for attracting and developing STEM talent. In my case, uh, while all STEM talent is important, I selfishly focus on women talent more. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if you see the stats and all, you'll see that's where a bigger burning platform exists mm-hmm. to one, bring the women in STEM and keep them in STEM. So yeah, that's where I've taken the STEMinist definition. I'm not the one who created the definition. It already existed. But yeah, I I loved it when I read about it um, in an interview. And I'm like, yep, I can identify with that. Yeah, so that is is you advocating for creating opportunities for women in STEM. And, you know, for those who don't know, STEM is basically careers in science. It's an acronym. So, right. So science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. So, um, yeah, just highlighting that. And I wanted to start with just sharing some of the stats that you mentioned, because, you know, as I looked over them again, we've looked at them several times together, but as I looked over them again, it's like there's a mixed story. There's like progress in a lot of areas and still some significant challenges in areas as well. And so just a few stats for everyone to kind of get a, a feel and a context for what you were saying about the challenges for women in STEM. So one of the stats, and this is a lot from the Census Bureau, and also a study around just um, secondary education. But women represented 45% of students majoring in STEM fields in 2020, which was up from 40% in 2010 and 34% in 1994, which sounds like a lot, you know, if you think about 45% majoring, but it's definitely different by focus areas. So when I look at 48% of the degrees 
or math and stats, 63% of degrees in biological medical sciences, and then 83% were in things like health and social sciences. I don't know if all STEM professionals would consider social sciences <laughs> STEM. Being a social scientist, I can say this. I don't know if you would all consider social sciences one of the hardcore STEM areas, but that's where we see the most women. But when we look at areas like computer and information science, engineering, one of your specialties, it's much less. So women represent 16% of the bachelor's degrees in computer and information sciences and 21% of the degrees, bachelor degrees in engineering and engineering technology. So there's progress, but more progress in certain areas than others. And then it's like a funnel. So we have a lot of women interested in college, but as you know, as you get into the actual career, how many people actually stay in STEM is less. And so Census Bureau said that women represent 27% of people actually working in STEM in 2019. And again, most of that's healthcare, social sciences, life sciences. And when you look at engineering, it's only 15% of the people working in engineering and 26% of those in computer science. So progress, yes. Challenges, yes. <laughs> and I'm, I know none of that really surprises you. Is that in line with kind of what what you remember and what your stats are around STEM as well, Dipali? Yeah, very much so. And um, somehow the science part of it has relatively better numbers than the math part of it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that, that really bothers me. And let's change that together. Yeah, yeah, because it, it's significantly different. Um, and so I'm thinking about, that's the first question I wanted to get into is I'm thinking about parents, you know, guidance counselors, aunts and uncles, people who influence the lives of children as they're thinking about this. And I'm curious, what first sparked your interest in STEM areas? Like, where did that come from? And what first sparked your interest in STEM? I think middle school. I think middle school was my turning point to say, this, this is something I like, and this is something I want to do. I remember in India, there used to be a vocational class called SUPW, and I couldn't remember the full form of it if you ask me now. But this was basically a vocational training where we spend an hour every week preparing for skill sets other than just educational classes that we had. So a default assumption was that the girls in that class were going to learn sewing mm. and the boys were going to learn about electrical engineering. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah. So when I first got to the class, uh, our teacher, she actually had us cut underwear patterns on newspapers <laughs> in a practice. <laughs> like, what is this? And exactly. I of, all, see, of all the things you could sew. <laughs> yeah. I think they were starting with like the basic ones and yeah. saying, oh, here's probably the basic pattern and you cut it and master it on your newspaper and then we'll take you on to the actual plot. And then I could just see outside from the window that boys were playing around with like these master board and then there were like light bulbs and things were flickering in and out. And I was like, that looks so cool. First of all, they're outside. And second of all, where is this flickering in and out happening? And I'm cutting underwear. I'm not excited. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I went to my teacher and I uh, probably annoyed her quite a bit by just continuously pestering and asking her and saying, can I go out? Can I go out? And she said, no, but that's what you do. I'm like, why? Why do I do this? I want to try that. And she's like, you're not going to like it. And I was like, I still want to try that. And she was wrong. I did yeah. like it and I never came back to sewing underwear again. Mm. Uh, that was just so interesting. But it was just now I understand such a big impact of that little persistence I had in changing how I think about STEM because mm -hmm. it was a default option at that time when I was growing up in 90s that females learned sewing in India. Mm -hmm. They did not do electrical engineering. So I think that was a very, very tiny step that just continued to give me confidence to challenge assumptions where I was growing up Yeah, uh, and just seeing if I could work my way into things I wanted to do. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I mean, what do you know? What do you think gave you that persistence that you used or the willingness to keep kind of going at it as a teacher? Because, you know, a lot of kids in middle school, I have an example even from my daughter, Lauren, that I might share, but, you know, it is, it's such a difficult time sometimes. So what gave you that persistence, you think, to just kind of keep at it? My dad. <laughs> okay. My dad. I know you started the question by asking what parents and influence in the ecosystem but absolutely that. We grew up in a household of STEM. Dad is a doctor, still is practicing. Mom being a teacher, but she was actually in humanities, not in STEM, but she was a teacher throughout her career. 
but they had two daughters and I think their biggest thing and one of the things I give them a lot of credit for when they were growing up and getting married and having kids there was a lot of pressure to have boys because who was going to carry on the family name and that time they decided that two daughters is all they can raise properly given their financial condition (laughs) and they stopped it too so they always always both my dad and mom more my dad kind of that instilled that that feeling at home too that challenging assumptions is okay I think he came to regret that when I became a teenager. (laughs) (laughs) But they didn't know any better middle school. (laughs) Yeah, there is a little bit of a rebellious streak that he started and now he wishes he could take it back. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love that, though. I mean, I think that's a lesson for us as parents on how you have to support, encourage advocate for or sometimes defend your children's choices and interests because when you said that I remembered Lauren being in middle school and she came home one day and said they were talking about elective classes yeah and her teacher said the guidance counselor said you know computer science or whatever is one option or robotics yeah but girls so you know it's not a lot of girls in those classes your teacher's crazy. Don't listen to like don't listen to her. If you want to do it, let's do it. But I think yeah. it's probably still reality. You know, and that's only like six or seven years ago for her. It's still a reality that as parents, friends, you have to advocate for girls in these areas because they're still getting these messages around, you know, this may not be for you. So Absolutely. And I don't know if you uh, remember, Arlene, Beverly Chiruli used to be one of our VPs in HR um, in our previous roles where we were together. And she used to say, if you know what one plus one is, you can do math. There is no reason Mm -hmm. for you to shy away from math. And I really, really like the simplicity Mm -hmm. and the depth in what she said and how we sometimes discount our own ability and how good and capable we are or can be just by a little discouragement that we've gotten along the way. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. If you can do one plus one. You can do math. I too. We all can do math. I love that. I love that. So then let me ask you this. As you think about you went through high school and college, you know, part of the research says that the further girls go on into high school, college, careers, the fewer interest, you know, the fewer, the lesser there are interested in STEM. What do you think like sustained that for you? What either in high school or college, because you went on, got your PhD, like what sustained that interest for you over time when you were probably continuing to get those messages around what girls or boys should be doing? Yeah, I think I started to answer that with the family environment already a little bit. I think the power of challenging assumptions was very cool And quite frankly, as I went from middle school to high school, I realized that the power of challenging assumptions and asking the why and the why not was a lot more in science than there was in history. I was looking back. I wasn't looking uh, ahead. So I naturally got inclined to those a lot. And I didn't even realize that why and why not were my favorite questions to ask. And they still are. So these projects and these subjects just provided me more opportunity to ask those questions again and again. So it kept my interest. Mm -hmm. But quite frankly, what gave me the encouragement other than my parents was the fact that I was surrounded by kids of different age groups. My dad was in the army, so I'm an army brat. So we, we, we moved around quite a bit. Every two years, we changed schools, we changed teachers. I got to hear different perspectives. By hook or crook, they were just there. So I think you, in army settings, it was like a moment of pride when the son or the daughter was graduating from high school to say, what college are they going to? What are they going to become? So you were constantly surrounded by these conversations about what the kids were doing and what they were pursuing. Mm. So getting that exposure early on from the kids, not from parents, not from teachers, but from the kids and some elder kids that I respected and I could relate with helped a lot. So I think for me, that was the biggest sort of unlock, if you will, growing up and listening from people my own age mm-hmm. on the possibilities that they're exploring yeah. and maybe what they're liking and what they're not liking and just opening up my world on mm-hmm. what it could be. Yeah, I, that's interesting. I didn't even know you were an army brat. Oh. I was an army brat. I how do we not know this and all? That? How did we not know this? I didn't know that. But yeah, I could see. I could totally see what you're saying. That just the exposure to different people, different places, different careers, kind of that connection to people that are older than you, that can kind of give you a vision for what things could be. You know, just how important that could be, and, and kind of yeah. opening your mind to say, no, I actually could do that. 
you know, yeah. that's something I could really do. It was brilliant. It was brilliant to just relate to those kids. And because, you know, you automatically had, well, there was a lot of diversity in religion and ranks and whatnot and, and classes and schools, but there were these common factors that we were all growing up together. So there was this unspoken trust that we had in whatever the other person said. So there was no need for credibility or trust to be built up. And I think that might have been the hidden factor of why that influenced me more, because you tend to trust people when you can relate to them more and you can kind of see yourself in them a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. I could see that. Yeah. Cause, it, cause even you're right. Even as when we do our best as adults or parents, you know, our kids are like, eh. <laughs> you know, you're old at this point. Like, what do you really know about the world in life? I mean, I'm sure I did that to my parents too. So then let me ask you this. So you you're in engineering and in college and graduate school and you start your career. What did you see as some of the challenges in terms of working in STEM, maybe in the earlier years, whether that's, you know, grad school or first out of grad school? Like, what did you see were some of the challenges you faced? I think when I came to U.S., so uh, background, uh, I did my master's in India and then came to United States for my Ph.D. Mm -hmm. Coming from India, I was used to getting a little bit of a checklist from my professor and saying, go do this very execution mode focused. Mm -hmm. Coming here, there's a reason I came to the United States because of the infrastructure and just what I'd heard about the research programs. And you, you basically handed, a, at least in my case, I was handed a blank slate and say, do what you want to do. What do you want your topic to be? I was like, wait, you're not going to tell me? <laughs> yeah, cool. And it was, he was great. My professor, David, was great because he said, you're going to spend about three to five years of your life. I do not want to dictate what your topic should be. That should be something that comes naturally to you out of mm -hmm. interest on what you work on. And that was really, really smart guidance and coaching. Uh, I didn't like it at that time, but that's exactly what we needed. So just going through that transition of thinking for myself mm. <laughs> was mm -hmm. huge. And this was kind of manifesting in different ways. This was, this was the first time I had gone out of country. This was the first time I was kind of living on my assistantship and trying to do financial independence as well. Yeah. I had colleges before, but this was like a whole different ballgame on yeah. cooking for yourself, thinking for yourself. There was just a lot of for yourself. Mm -hmm. So uh, I enjoyed it, but it was a learning experience to get to a stage where I was like, okay, I think I, I'm, I'm reaching a steady state here. Mm -hmm. It's a little wobbly in the first six to eight months for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Once I got through that a few years later in the first job, I found it again tough. I think one of my first challenges was thinking about how do you transition from a PhD student to a process engineer in corporate America? Mm -hmm. we didn't we weren't taught to communicate the way corporate America needs you to I was taught to communicate data and science mm -hmm. I wasn't taught to communicate business delivery and how data supports it mm -hmm. it takes a while for you to get in the swing of things mm -hmm. and one you're kind of thinking through how do you make that transition and second I think I still do that, but a lot faster. But I think in my native language and then I translate in my mind and then I say things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it takes a little while for things to come out. Um, that's why I can't tell jokes in English because I'm horrible. But I'm actually very I'm funny. I don't I don't no, I, I used to be a lot funnier in India <laughs> when I could speak in my language. Yeah. Um, but some of the early feedback I got was, you're not present, you're not participating enough, you don't have the courage to speak your mind. Mm -hmm. Like that was really complicated feedback. And I'm glad somebody took the time to help me explain because the first time somebody gave me that feedback, it was just that you need to work on your communication. And I was like, I don't know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> and uh -huh. I didn't know if I could ask somebody to explain what that means. Yeah. So finally, when I started to get enough credibility and um, my, uh, results and things kind of squared away that I started reaching out to people and say can you help can you mentor and then I got to understand what they were really asking me to do and I was like I think I speak okay English I don't know what communication skills I need to improve yeah. so I think reaching out to somebody early on would have been helpful I didn't have to suffer for the six months that I did <laughs> <laughs> that's really interesting too just because I mean I think when we met it was so much you were so much further in your career yeah. that it's hard to even imagine that because you do such a good job speaking in business language business outcomes kind of translating 
the data into that. So that's interesting that that kind of transition you were able to make. And it feels like some people are able to make that transition from kind of the data side, science tied to, to talking the business language. And then that's an accelerator for some people's careers. And some people, it's like, it's really hard to make that transition. And I feel like they never do. And it sounds like mentors was one thing that was helpful. Or is there anything else that helped you kind of figure out how to translate those two worlds, like the engineering data science world into the like language of business kind of world? Learning from my peers. I think my peers were the best people because that was one of the early on things that I saw because we were really good friends. Um, the six or eight of us who joined together, we would constantly have lunches together and talk about our sorrows and complaints and also things that were going well. Yeah. And the feedback we were getting, good or bad, was obviously unique to each one of us. So people who didn't get that kind of feedback, <laughs> mm-hmm. I would watch them because we used to be in the women employee resource groups together. Yeah. So these are females who got recruited with me and were doing a good job of communicating and kind of just learning from them and breaking it down from them. I realized that I was starting with the data to make the conclusion of the business case. And they had it exactly flipped when they were doing it right. They started with the business problem and talked about data as a supporting element as and when needed. Mm. That was just unfathomable for me coming from a PhD background for sure. I'm like, we had a tech company. We're going to start with data. They're like, nope, you're going to start with the business problem. Right, right. That You need somebody to help you see the simple switch. We all had all the components. I just had the sequence wrong. Mm-hmm. So that really helps. So I never underestimate or get ego involved in asking my peers to help me with something because I think with them, the frankness and candor you can have, you could probably never have with a senior leader who are your mentor, but also kind of evaluating you for potential in the next roles. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I mean, and I think a lot of times, I, especially maybe newer in career you know, people can, we can, all of us can not take the peer relationships seriously enough, meaning not realize how valuable they are. We're focused so much on maybe pleasing your manager or, you know, that you really kind of neglect those peer relationships. And they, I kind of feel the same way. They are everything like that. That's probably where I learned the most from my peers. And it's also where I had the most fun. Like that, that was kind of like that joy factor of whether it was employee resource groups or the work we did together, or just, you know, having that peer set that you actually like and spend time with and can ask these kind of difficult questions to that was, yeah. When you said that, I was like, oh yeah, that was everything for me. It's like that instant bond I was talking about, right? That common factor, our common bonding was we were all going through the grueling onboarding experiences. We were all proving ourselves. We were in the same professional life stages. So it just meant that they understood me more or there was just this quiet understanding that we get it. it. We're going through the pain together. (laughs) Yeah, we get it. You know, one of the things I was looking at this kind of just some research around challenges of women in STEM. And you mentioned several of them. One is isolation. Mm -hmm. So just not feeling, you know, because sometimes you're not working with other people that look like you or have your same background or experiences. And so like, it sounds like you went and searched for mentors, you got connected to groups, the women group, but, you know, kind of one of the challenges for some people is feeling isolated. Like I'm the only one, or maybe people not feeling comfortable to reach out to you. Like one person said, Oh, maybe we won't invite her. She won't feel comfortable if it's all male group. So just this, you know, a sense of isolation can be difficult. Um, So that kind of reaching out. And then the other one that I thought was interesting that you mentioned is a little bit like prove it and prove it again. (laughs) So sometimes as actually all early career people, and maybe especially if you're in an underrepresented category, feeling like I got to prove my worth, I have to prove it again, you know, so that people actually see what I bring, kind of take me seriously. I get the credibility that I feel like I need. Those were two of the biggest challenges that women said they sometimes face specifically in STEM careers. But I think that's honestly probably true if you're underrepresented in any career, but I could definitely see it in STEM careers too. Yeah, it's, you're right. It's just, you have the extra responsibility of representing that whole community (laughs) and not looking stupid on their behalf. Uh, Sometimes that has held me back from the past. 
So when I got more comfortable in my own skin, I've even jokingly made these disclaimers like I'm not here representing women, even though I'm the only one. I am just representing me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. a unique individual and my stupidity dies with me. So uh-huh. <laughs> I think getting it out there just helps me. I don't know what it does to the other people, but it just kind of lifts the weight off of my shoulders and I can be myself again. I I feel like I sometimes end up carrying that weight off. I'm the only female. I'm the only brown female. I am the only Indian. I'm like, oh my God, there are too many diversity quotients factored into one person. I'm just going to let go of that and just go yeah. with my thought diversity and see where that takes me. Mm. oh I love that you're right it's like take the weight off you know just be you like you're enough like just show up as you are and you're enough and what they take from that you can't control anyway so I love that yeah how you take the weight off Mm -hmm. that's important (laughs) what do you think about the challenges like as you got to more senior levels of your career as you progress through your career were there new or different challenges that you that kind of presented themselves or what do you think about that like as you progressed you know my hardest one was probably making the transition from individual contributor to being a people manager because I I figured out my success formula coming from PhD student to a process engineer in corporate America and climbing the ladder and figuring out how to remove roadblocks and keep getting bigger and bigger accountability and then came the time of them assigning me people and I was like shoot everything <laughs> I know yeah on how to add value is not how I need to now deliver mm-hmm. uh, for the longest time I felt like I was cheating if I was taking credit for my people's work mm. but you have to deliver through people and it took a long time it felt kept feeling like what am I individually doing and not realizing that the development plan, the coaching and the strategy and the framework and the setting up of the team, all of that is you setting up your team for success. Yeah. And I think my attitude for like, I don't know, five, six months was, yeah, yeah, yeah that I'm doing. I want to make sure they're successful. But what am I delivering? <laughs> so yeah, uh-huh. yeah. It took a bunch of people to help me recognize that they were not different and they were the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. It it took a while. It took a while for me to get there and Mm -hmm. just feeling comfortable in in the value I was adding and how that value was so different. Yeah. Than the value I was used to adding. Mm -hmm. Um, it took a while. (laughs) I can especially see that. I can see on all fields and especially in the technical fields because you have invested so much time and resources and thinking in in kind of what you do, like the actual kind of things that you're doing. So then when it's about leading other people to do those things, that's like a whole different skill set. And I'm sure you got to kind of take your hands off of some things that maybe you've spent your whole, you know, college and career learning how to do. So I, yeah, I could see that. I definitely think that's a big thing. get just absorbed into solving a technical problem Mm -hmm. because that's where engagement is the most, because you're right, that's the that's the field I chose. So it was harder. And I'm glad I made this transition, but for everybody involved on instead of solving problems, just asking questions out of curiosity mm-hmm. to hopefully lead people on a journey to get to the answer. Mm-hmm. But you also have to be patient because yeah. not everybody's journey is going to look the same <laughs> in mm-hmm. getting to the answer. Some people are going to be relatively faster than you and some people are going to be relatively slower than you. Mm-hmm. So I think kind of just calibrating that expectation was pretty cool. Yeah. And it's a fun skill to learn. I mean, it's a, it's like a learning a new area kind of yeah. on the job. Cause you might have some training, but a lot of it's just kind of learning by doing. So it's yeah. an opportunity to really expand your skill set in a totally new area. So I think that, I think it's still an opportunity for us to train people, uh, yeah. kind of have them go through like a pragmatic course to say, do you really want to be managed? This is what it takes. It's okay if you want to be honing in your technical skills and become a technical leader in the organization. I think sometimes the best individual technical contributors are the ones who get the opportunity to be in management Mm -hmm. because that's the way you're calibrated to get to the next role. So there's still an opportunity. Maybe there's something, a nugget or two there to think about how we can be better. Yeah, how to train people and then how to help people think about is that what you want? Because To your point, you may prefer to be the technical expert for the rest of your career. And that's great yeah. too, like if that's what you want to do. So yeah, I could see yeah. that. 
So then let me ask you this. What have you, what have you loved most about this field? Like if someone was saying, what do you love most about being in STEM and in the STEM area and even leadership in STEM? What do you love most about this field? The possibilities, the possibilities of doing so many different things, with just a foundational background of STEM. I think even I came with the notion of STEM being a scientist, especially after PhD. I'm like, I am a scientist. I am going to be in the lab and I'm going to solve world hunger. Like that's the aspiration I have. Yeah. And I came into my first role in corporate America. And while I started as a process engineer, I had um, a very non-linear road of critical experiences that I took, the hmm. process, product, packaging, sustainability, beverage, food, global, region. And then even in roles like commercial strategy and portfolio management, that if you just looked at my material science and engineering PhD background and looked at the job requirements for that role, you'd never hire me for that role. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but just being in the organization and kind of just proving and demonstrating skill sets in different roles kind of opens up so many other possibilities you could be considering. And if you think about it, like in a big corporation, STEM can get you into pretty much marketing, finance, anything you want. Mm-hmm. And R&D, right? I feel yeah. like you could pursue any path you wanted. You could become a global R&D head or you could even be a GM if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. So I just, I just loved how it just opened up my horizon even more coming into a corporation and saying, oh my God, I could do that too. Yeah. Now, raising hand is a different thing for something you want to do if you don't qualify for it. Oh, I could say, you know, it kind of reminds me of what you were saying even before we started the podcast, just about a lot of people may have visions of STEM as being kind of lab coats or like maybe have, may talk a little bit like kind of a certain image of STEM would actually careers in STEM are much so much broader than that yeah and it really helps that I think nerdy is cool yeah. <laughs> honestly it's cool everywhere now it's like I think when we were growing up maybe it wasn't but somewhere <laughs> around the tech area Facebook somewhere in there nerdy became cool so <laughs> I think so too I mean if you think about all the tech giants and especially you know when you even in Georgia Tech when people were showing up for career fair I remember as a professional, we showed up in business casual attire to hire people that were way smarter than us to take the corporation even forward. And then we had Tesla right next to us and they were wearing like jeans and t-shirt and the jeans had holes in them. And I was like, when did tech become cool? Exactly. It's like, wait, I I can do that. (laughs) I want to do that. I want the jeans and t-shirt job. Yeah. Yeah. It became really cool. And I think it really helps when you start to recognize, I think when I was talking about my parents, I think one of the biggest things they had was one, as girls in India, especially growing up, you guys need to be educated and you guys need to be financially independent before anything else. Like get out of the house and make yourself financially independent. And yeah. I think if you start doing the research, you recognize that a STEM background and foundation gives you a lot more possibilities to mm-hmm. different financial independent work streams or careers you could pursue. So that just added to the coolness factor of being a nerd. I'm like, I could make more money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's very cool. <laughs> that's cool. Yes. That is very cool. And that's, you know, that's one reason I think so there's so much passion too around just girls and women considering careers in STEM because so many of them are so in demand, one, yeah. and very financially lucrative. So it's like, if you have both of those and you enjoy it, yeah. like, you know, let's not be doing other things. This is a real thing you can do. Like if you want it, if this is something you enjoy. I mean, gosh, there's so many opportunities for it. I mean, everywhere, you know, to your point, uh, corporate, you know, ed- education, academic, I mean, you can take it almost anywhere. Yeah. yeah. So, well, let me ask you this. So how have you been able to, cause one thing I've always loved about you, Polly, is you always have so much joy. Like we'd be in very <laughs> difficult conversations sometimes. I mean, just all kinds of scenarios. And you always had this kind of joy in working. And I think sometimes some women, or um, if you're underrepresented in any way, they don't always have the joy in working in that environment. But how have you been able to just enjoy working in a field where there may not be a lot of people that look like you, there may not, you might be the only whatever to your point of all the categories in the room. Like, how have you been able to just have joy in all these different spaces? Maybe because of just curiosity. I was a very shy kid growing up. 
So when I was littler, my dad, when he got transferred, I used to hate his transfers all the time because I just was afraid of losing my friends and then starting all over as a shy kid. That's not the best thing for you to go do, right? As I grew older, I realized how much his job helped me break through from my shyness to just being more assertive yeah, <laughs> and being the first one and be more proactive and just kind of breaking into friend circles. Because if you didn't speak up or break into circles, you didn't make friends in the new school. Mm. And I had to figure out how to make friends every two years. It's funny because even if you go and talk to people in my middle school and high school, they're like, you talk a lot versus <laughs> what you used to be. With me. Really? Well, yeah. And it was a slow transition. I didn't notice it. My folks noticed it. But I really appreciated that kind of training growing up. I hated it, but I really appreciate it now because now when I see a new setting, instead of getting scared by it, I'm just like, well, it's just like my dad got transferred. Let's start all over again. Like, yeah. How do I break into this circle? How do I break into this circle? And just having the confidence that you have a point of view to offer. Mm-hmm. it takes a while to get there this has been like my progression and slow journey sometimes I still have the imposter syndrome but just kind of saying if you've been put in that setting if you've been invited to that meeting it's because people in that meeting see your work mm-hmm. and if you've been invited to that meeting and if you're sitting with them why waste that chance mm-hmm. you've got something to say I mean if you don't have something to say it's fine but if you've got something to say just because you look different should stop you Mm -hmm. is then you might be hampering the chance of other women like me being invited to that forum because they might stereotype my response in that meeting to the community I represent in their mind so it's again back to that responsibility that comes in Mm -hmm. it comes in and goes like shake it off tell your opinion oh did I mess it up for everybody else (laughs) I don't know oh (laughs) that is the reality yes (laughs) so just kind of finding ways to break in have been helpful Mm -hmm. And just knowing that you belong there has been helpful. Mm -hmm. What's the worst that can happen? They may not like something you've said. I don't like a lot of things they've said. Exactly. 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 That is so true. How many many times do you go to a meeting and love everything somebody says? You don't. So yeah, this just kind of willingness to, you know, put it out there, put your perspective out there, put your point of view out there. And I love that you're there for a reason so we are and I think it's just the sooner we can let go of the notion that we look stupid mm-hmm. the more comfortable we will be in any setting to be honest because mm-hmm. we all have that curiosity and somewhere along the way we just develop this fear of being embarrassed or looking stupid yeah and we just don't say and then when you actually muster up the courage and say something half the people in the room are sending you private messaging things thank you for asking even I didn't know the full from of blah 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 blah, blah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> you're right you are so right yes thank you for asking that question yeah I love that so what what else would you say just any general career tips for success for people in STEM women in STEM like just what would be Depali's kind of tips for success as you think about a career in STEM I might just take a step back and have people think about what success means to them Mm. because it might mean different things to different people. And quite frankly, it kind of needs a reevaluation about every year and saying, I'm in this job now, I'm in this life stage now, does success still mean the same thing it meant to me last year? Mm. (laughs) That might help kind of recalibrating our own expectations because sometimes we just carry on the same notion that we think we should And oftentimes it's the default one where it's success to me is climbing the corporate ladder as fast as I can and as quickly as I can in relation to the peers that joined with me. Mm -hmm. And that's success to me. And that's my ambition. Could be great. This is not how I am wired. (laughs) For me, it's about delivering value in the role I've been given or the role I've chosen for myself. It comes both ways. Yeah, sometimes you raise the hand and sometimes organizations say this is what we need you to do. Finding ways to find joy in the role that I have and the value I deliver in it. And quite frankly, if I can find ways to deliver value for the organization, I will find joy. It's a consequence of Mm. feeling valuable. Mm, (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then just finding opportunities to demonstrate the skill set at a higher and higher level and at a better maturity level. So I am automatically ready to take on roles that have bigger and bigger impact and I often find that if I just stay true to that 
promotions or lateral experiences or critical experiences kind of just come as a, again as a consequence of that mm-hmm. so it just helps take the timeline off because then it just otherwise it's just a depressing circle because somebody is always doing better than you <laughs> it doesn't matter how smart and brilliant you are yes. it just helps me at least so oftentimes my development conversations even now with my managers are almost about hey what am I demonstrating I think I'm good at this do you also see that I am good at this and how do I keep showing you this in a broader and broader impact can you help me create opportunities for myself and my team to show this in a bigger scale and that will automatically create hopefully awareness and opportunities for you with a different set of stakeholders that you didn't have access to before that is honestly like what success means to you, like your idea of starting with that. That is a very deep question. Like that's a real, that is a real question we should all be exploring. Like I encourage everyone listening to really write that down and think about it because yeah, I've, I mean, just last couple of weeks, I've talked with a couple of leaders who made it to a certain level in, you know, of, of promotion and they got there and were like, like, is this what I was working for? Like, what, this isn't, it's not as fulfilling as I thought it would be. It's, you know, it's kind of like one definition of success, but it's really not their definition. Mm. And so when you achieve it, you just don't have the same feeling because you haven't really figured out what success means to you. So I think that's really important to figure out, like, what does success mean to me? Yeah. So then you can directionally orient your life towards whatever that might be. Yeah, and oftentimes we shy away from sharing our definition of success with our managers mm. because we assume that they also have a default expectation. And if we share something that's different than the default expectation of America corporation, that we are not ambitious enough. Mm. So there is a little bit of retraining both sides. Yeah. And I'm not sure, like every relationship, every one-on-one is different. Yeah. So you may have to just gauge how you open up and when you open up. Yeah. Yeah. There's a savvy to it in terms of like, <laughs> you have to figure it out for yourself and then you have to figure out what you want to share. With oh, you want to share. <laughs> what and how and when you want to share with other people and how they're going to receive it. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> but you have to, at least if you know it for yourself, then it gives you the opportunity to figure out, you know, what it is you might share and to kind of navigate your life towards it. Yeah. So that. Thank you for sharing that. That's a really good idea. So I guess the last big question that I want to do the lightning round with you though, is just, you've spent a lot of time thinking about organizations and parents and what just we as meaning we generally people in the, you know, in these communities can do to advocate for girls and women in STEM. What would you just, any recommendations you would make for how do we support women excelling in STEM careers, girls going into STEM careers, like wherever you want to take it, what would you recommend? I think just encourage curiosity. Don't make a girl feel stupid because she asked a question, even if in your mind it is a silly question, because I think oftentimes the data points add up to a straight line. So depending on how much encouragement you've gotten as you've grown up and questions and curiosity and your relentless whys, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you may have a bend towards either asking a why or stopping yourself a step before and saying, I'm going to look stupid or I'm going to annoy this person. Mm -hmm. So just kind of keeping that in mind, especially for younger females trying to figure out that societal balance for themselves too and how they fit and how they should represent themselves just don't stop them. Yes, I was one of those girls. There are annoying questions that we ask, right? My why is never stopped. It is one of my favorite questions to ask the why's and the why's not. But I appreciated my parents not giving up on my questions and saying, that is a really good question to ask. Probably not the right time. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. just finding a more delicate yeah. way to tell me that because I said so. Yeah. <laughs> it was very, very helpful. I now yeah. recognize that. So it's a very simple thing. And maybe when they do ask something that's smart or they make an observation that's smart, you know, reward them, recognize them, like celebrate that and say, wow, that is a really cool observation. Mm-hmm. I remember somebody asking me, why is the sky blue? I was in middle school myself. I didn't know why the sky was blue. And I remember our teacher going, that is a really good question. Let's talk about light scattering. So it was really amazing for us to take just a very out of context question that was not in textbook and somebody just asking it and me just being a witness of that girl being celebrated for asking a very random question. Yeah. Uh, Just gave me more and more permission to ask random questions. 
So if, if, if I'm around kids, quite frankly, even now, that's a very, very subtle mentoring and support you can provide to each other in meetings mm. or in um, just group settings or in any organizational setting where a female speaks up, support her. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. We may have to take that offline and talk about more, but I can see your point. Just mm. kind of validate it. Because to your point, when we were talking about being surrounded by people that don't look like you, especially on the gender side, I think we can show up for each other more as female leads in a conversation. Absolutely. And that, I mean, that does make all the difference. Like being supported, I've been in some pretty tough meetings and you're right. The support you feel from other people in difficult meetings, when you feel like you're kind of out on a limb sometimes in asking a question or making a recommendation, like someone else saying, wow, that's a really good thought. Like, thank you for sharing that. That makes a difference. Like that makes a difference in your courage, your own confidence and just how it, how you show up in front of others. So Yeah. yeah. Encouraging the curiosity. Yeah. I like that. I'm very fond of adults being curious. Like it just gives me so much joy when I see an adult asking a very simple question that they've always wondered about, but they finally found a safe environment to ask that question. So I like, that's one of my favorite things to do is how can I make people feel as comfortable as they can so that they can be stupid and silly. Mm Because oftentimes that's where inspiration and breakthrough ideas come from. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there is a, there is a, an obligation and a responsibility to create these safe environments where people can bring their whole selves and mm-hmm. talk and mm-hmm. challenge their managers, which again, yeah. like my father, I'm realizing I've given my team too much freedom to challenge me. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yes, I'm sure they love it. I'm sure they, <laughs> they love it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I love that. And just encouraging curiosity. I'm going to try to do that myself because it's, you know, the the more you, I'm going to say, quote, no, <laughs> more yeah. you quote unquote, no, the easier it is to kind of shut people down with their ideas and thoughts and questions, you know, with what you consider to be the answer. So it's, it's actually sometimes even harder as an adult to encourage that curiosity in younger people or, or even other people our own yeah. age. So yeah, I love that as a challenge. Well, thank you for sharing. Um, I have the lightning round questions, which are just to help people get to know you better and your experiences, et cetera. So what is, the, what is one thing you do consistently just to enjoy your life? Eat. Oh, well, go to restaurants and eat. <laughs> <laughs> I am fond of eating in general. Uh, just different cuisines and trying out different restaurants and different ambiances gives me a lot of uh, uh, joy. Mm-hmm. And now that we live in Chicago, our house is actually very close to the Riverwalk. So a new thing I've added that gives me joy is just trying every other evening to just go on the Riverwalk and walk it. Mm-hmm. After all the calls, it just it's just great to one kind of break that boundary between, not break the boundary, actually create that boundary between work and personal. Mm-hmm. Finish, we're walking around, we come back home, and now we don't talk about work. So mm-hmm. it's really helpful to kind of create that balance for me. Yeah, I could see that. Okay. Um, what is one tip you would give college students that are interested in STEM careers? A college student, what's something you might tell that age group? Explore the possibilities of a STEM career. A STEM career is bigger and has more to offer than you probably think right now. So talk to as many people as you can. Cold call people on LinkedIn. Like reach out to people you think have interesting careers that started with a STEM degree. And I got to tell you, like, if you're reaching out to me on LinkedIn, I will reply back to you and tell you about my story. So don't be afraid. You have no idea how many LinkedIn connections I've made just by being interested in their profile and reaching out to them. That's a good idea. And a real like tangible way to use LinkedIn as a, as a tool, (laughs) you know, as opposed to just connect. Um, And I think, you know, as you say that, I don't know if college students realize this, but I don't know many professionals that would say no to that. Yeah, exactly. Like, like you just kind of have an interest in helping and yeah I mean this is how we pay forward right none of us got here by ourselves we all had help so now that we've reached somewhat of a decent point in our career this is a great time for us to pay forward people should do that because I don't know if they I, I think as a student sometimes you think oh they're busy they're working what's um, the worst that can happen exactly exactly what's the worst that could happen and sometimes it's a nice deviation from your normal work like I've had people reach out to me to say hey yeah. I'd like to learn more about IO psychology I'm like call me like let's let's talk because <laughs> it's just it's another way of it's like another engagement factor for being in your career so yeah. that's a really good idea I love that 
And then last question, what's a word of wisdom or piece of advice that you live by? Not my lines. And I heard it for some Ted Lasso. Yes. Being curious and not judgmental. Mm. So he says that to his team, be curious and not judgmental of things you don't understand. So I really, really like that. Really like that. It's a great reminder when I'm in uncomfortable and difficult situations to continue to remind me when people's views don't match my values, my core yeah. values. It's a really, really good environmental kind of societal reminder to be curious about why they think the way they do. Mm-hmm. And I'm judging them for the view that they have. And in today's environment, especially if I think in the U.S. political environment and some other countries' political environments as well, wow, we could we could all learn a lot by that. Uh, <laughs> ask questions, get curious, and not judgmental because you get so many things, like so many messages, judgmental messages around you that it's easy nah. to go that way. It's very easy to go that way. And, you know, it takes two people to have that curious conversation, but at least you could be the one to start and initiate and then let the other person see where they want to take it. Mm, that's good. Love that. <laughs> Well, thank you to Polly for joining. This has been so much fun. I just love what you've shared around the STEM career and how you've been able to just find joy and thrive and advocate for others, you know, in terms of this field. So I know you mentioned that people could find you on LinkedIn, right? Yeah. Okay. So you can look her up, Dr. DePauli Palta. I didn't say, I don't think I called you doctor throughout this conversation. Dr. DePauli Palta. (laughs) You can find her on LinkedIn and uh, you all can always find me on Instagram at Arlene underscore Pace underscore Green. I'm also on LinkedIn too. Thank you so much for joining. Anything you want to say before we leave, before I No, thank you for having me. This was really fun. Thank you. And you you do it so well, Arlene. We're all lucky to have you be doing this. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you for joining and be well, everyone. I will see you next time. If you love this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You're also invited to join my private email group where I share tips, resources, freebies, and ideas to help you love your job and grow your business. Click join the crew in the show notes.